You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Baseball is finally back in 2022, and the season officially starts today. Now, I know it's only spring training, but yeah, it's baseball back on television, on radio, on A's cast. Cannot wait. A's and the Angels, we're going to hear... We're going to hear Ken Korak. We're going to hear Vince Catronio. It's going to be all good coming your way here. First pitch at 105. Brent Honeywell Jr. You might go, who? And I say, quoting Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland A already. A guy they acquired for cash from the Tampa Bay Rays will take the mound. Tony Kemp's going to be at second base. Elvis is short. Sean Murphy behind the dish. Seth Brown in right, Chad Pender in left, Eric Thames, the product of the South Bay. Bellarmine High School will be the DH. Ramon Laureano will be in center field, and Dalton Kelly at first, and Kevin Smith, who is a part of the trade with the Toronto Blue Jays, will be at third, the 25-year-old. Will, you know, he might have a shot of being the third baseman for the A's in 2022. Very versatile player can play short, can play second, can play third. Um, Kind of the norm now in baseball where, you know, years ago you might have played short because you were the best player on your team. Not necessarily the best athlete, but you were the best player. And normally coaches, head coaches, will take their best player and put him at shortstop, their best infielder. And as – they start to progress into pro bowl, whether it's coming out of college or coming out of high school, you'll start to see, eh, doesn't quite have the range as a pro shortstop when you're now dealing with, you know, so many great athletes coming from all over the globe into baseball that you're now competing against. So when you head to your first minor league camp and you're now playing against guys that are from all over the country, guys are from the Dominican or from Venezuela and, you know, slick fielding shortstops, you may be a good athlete, but you're not the athlete these guys are. But, of course, you got that bat once again, so what do we do? We move you to third base. I mean, that's happened throughout time, you know, especially, you know, when guys get older. But even younger players, I think a guy like had a great career since the – A's are taking on the Angels. You think of Troy Gloss. Troy Gloss was a terrific shortstop at UCLA. Big dude. 
But yet, you know, you get to the pro level and you got these really good, fundamentally sound, slick field and shortstops. You take a guy like that and you move him over to third base and he has a really good career, an all-star and a world champion. So Kevin Smith kind of fits, you know, Matt Chapman, who is now with the Toronto Blue Jays. We saw Matt. Matt could have moved over and played short. Nolan Arenado, third baseman. Both these guys went to high school together, played together. Terrific third baseman. They're two of the best we've ever really seen. But they could have moved over and played short. So now it's kind of, you know, today's infielder is very versatile. You know, maybe it's not his best position, but he's not going to hurt himself. Or you can move him to third, move him to second. So that's kind of what this Kevin Smith is. It'll be... Can his bat put him in the lineup every day? Well, there's one thing that you do know when you get traded to the A's. It puts a big smile on your face. Why? Because this is the land of opportunity. Even in the years where we're winning 90-something games, it still is the land of opportunity. You know, so many organizations, you'll hear this player's blocked and that guy's blocked and they're blocked because of this guy under contract or that guy. Not with the A's. The A's have no problem moving players around. The A's have no problem with giving guys shots. So Oakland, for a lot of these younger players or guys who feel like they were not getting an opportunity in the organization they were in, man, Oakland is the land of opportunity. I'm about trying to get a, get a shot at, at playing at the, in the big leagues. You know, a couple of things that I want to get into today, and we'll start with this morning, getting the coffee, walking the dog, and then uh, kind of settling in what's going on, uh, looking for news as a deal, uh, I would say a pretty big deal today. Luke Voigt is leaving the New York Yankees and heading to San Diego and going to be a San Diego Padre, a guy a couple of years ago led the American League in home runs. Um First base, DH, now with the DH in both leagues. He's going to fit in nicely. Before, you'd say, is that a great move for a National League team? But we don't look at it that way anymore because now he's a guy that can play DH, play first base in a pinch, could go out in the outfield for you. But if he adds a right-handed stick and gives you a lot of power with Fernando Tatis Jr. going to be out for a couple months, pretty good deal. Also, a lot of rumors going around with the A's as the A's are not done dealing. And if you believe the rumors, not only are Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas available, but some teams, if you believe the rumors, and we've said many of times here on this program, we believe everything we read on the Internet and we see on Twitter that Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya could be a package deal. And that just, I was like, wow. I mean, how many players, if you're going to go to one organization, I don't know if I like that idea. I mean, because right now, quality and volume are key. I just don't want a volume deal. Hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of crap guys that fill out your organization. I have no need for that. No need. I have no need for a volume deal. I need guy because reality is every guy you trade for is not going to play in the big leagues. Every guy you trade for is not going to be a great player. But you need some of them to work out. That's why you get four or five guys. If one guy can be a really good player 
for you for a while and a couple of the other guys can actually play at the big league level, that's a win. Not everybody you trade for, I mean, that's Captain Obvious, but not everybody you trade for is going to be a star player that fits right in. But you need some of the guys to work. And if you just do a deal on volume, I mean, you're skipping the pebble in the pond. Good luck to you. So I, is there one organization that has that many guys that'll make it worth giving Frankie Montas and Shamanaya, or would I rather deal them to two different organizations and get the best or what I think is the best that I can get from these organizations? But, man, kind of crazy. By the way, we're on early today, 11 a.m., leading up to 1 o'clock, 105 first pitch. Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic will be here at 11.30. Anthony DeComo from the Mets will be here at 12.05. We'll just take a look at they got a lot of craziness going on. DeGrom's going to opt out. Buck Showalter's in there. Um, Cohen, their owner, is worth $16 billion. He's a Wall Street hedge fund guy, he's looking to spend. Obviously, they got uh, two of our former players and Mark Canna and Starling Marte. Marte already has uh, already has the oblique. Who's the third? Be- Bassie. Oh, that's right. We just traded Bassie. <laughs> There's so many guys coming and going. <laughs> uh, Marte's already got an oblique injury, so a lot to – I mean, if healthy – I mean, right out, of ga- right out of the gate, if you told me – uh, DeGrom, Scherzer, Scherzer's old though. What is he, 39, 38? 30, 37, making, what, three for 130? So yeah, Are you sure he's 37? Yeah, let me just double check. When's I that def- birthday coming around? I got to think he's 38, 39. See, Scherzer is 37, will be 38 in July. So he's going to be 38. Hey, we saw another old guy make his debut in spring training today with the Astros and Verlander looked good. So these old guys can still pitch apparently. But if you give me if you give me a Scherzer and DeGrom and Bassett, I mean and what's that going to do to the Yankees? Not to get off track here, but Hal Steinbrenner talking about we want to be competitive, but he's not running it like he's the boss of New York. Can you imagine the baseball war of New York that could happen if the Mets actually do win? Because if the Mets win, and in a New York fashion where a rich Wall Street guy who loves the team is spending a ton of money, and they become the darling of the town real quick, and the Toronto Blue Jays or the Rays are are, are kicking it in the uh, AL East, and you put you put you put the Yankees in, in a situation to where they're starting to play second fiddle, that could be fun to watch, but. What I want to talk about with Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya, Cody, which I think interesting, it just always shows you that we're always going to be dealing with this, and it doesn't matter what era of baseball. High mound, low mound. Juice ball, non-juice ball. Juice players, non-juice players. It doesn't matter what era. Era of we throw our starters into the ground or an era of today where we hardly throw our starters. You just don't have pitching. And it's always been this way, and it's, I guess, always going to be the case. They were talking about my man Matt Vaskersian, because they brought up the A's again today, and it's like, oh, God. But they brought up the A's. 
but I'm not, you know, I, I, I won't be saying that a lot because I, as I, as I've talked about for many years here on Ace Cast Live and all the different shows that I've done around this ball club, is that you always got to know where your club's going and you judge your club on that direction. We will not judge this A's team on a team that we're expecting to win 95-plus games and compete for the division. We'd be morons. It's not how you do it. It's not how professional sports works. The, the club has given you the direction. The direction is a retooling direction and find guys for the future. That's how we got to judge the team. We can't purely judge them on wins and losses. If not, we're going to pull our hair out and we'll be going bonkers and need therapy by the All-Star break. Under promise, over deliver. If they go on and this A's team actually starts winning games, it's a luxury. Over promise, under promise, over deliver. That's what we're going to do here. And we're going to look at, okay, who's here and how I always, when I start going through these seasons, you'll start hearing me as I transfer from what we've been into, which was win mode and win now, it now transcends, it transitions into who helps us in the future. Are you in or are you out? Are you on this three-hour cruise? That might be, that reference might be a little too old for you. I don't say, I don't, I don't get it. Cruises aren't three hours long. A three-hour crew, Gilligan's Island. Oh, uh, I mean, I know the show, but yeah, you're 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 kind of dating yourself. All right, here. who who's who's who, who's on this trip? Because <laughs> not everybody's going to be on this trip. Not everybody's going to be here for the future. So we need to find out who's going to help and who's not. And if you're not, we're not going to be harsh. It's just you're not a part of the plans. You're building a blueprint right now. Who's a part of this blueprint? Who's not? And you know when it starts? Do you know when this journey starts of finding this new blueprint to get the A's back to the postseason? Today? 105. Mark it on your calendar. You got got a little over an hour and a half, and the new journey starts. The new blueprint. Finding who's going to be the foundation Who's going to be the concrete? Who's going to be the studs? Who's going to be the two-by-fours? Who's going to be the base of this franchise going forward? And why I mentioned Manaya and Frankie as they were talking about them once again on MLB Network this morning, and I'm thinking, man, you would act or you would think they were acting early this morning like the A's were out there shopping dudes. Like, you were shopping guys that had hardware. So I'm on the baseball reference page of Sean Manai and Frankie Montas. Like both these guys. Really like Sean. Sean, you know, if the A's hold on to Sean, be very happy. Don't think it's going to happen. But Sean Manai is is a terrific young man. I mean, he's a really, really, really solid guy. But... You go to his baseball reference page. I'll let you look, Cody. It says awards to the very far right. Um, what's in the awards category? I have it open on my computer, too. Uh, there's um, there's nothing. I go over to Frankie Montas. Awards? Uh, nothing with Frankie besides finishing what? He finished where in the side voting? Um, sixth. Sixth. This past year. So no awards. Okay. Doesn't make you a bad guy. But here's the thing. 
we are not that far removed from in 2019. Sean Manaya just pitched five games because of coming back from his shoulder. And then the next year after that was 11 starts. And that was because of COVID. And that was a 60-game season. So you're talking in two years, in 2019 and 2020, you're talking about a grand total of 16 starts for Sean Manaya. Now, last year, had 32. It was fantastic. And to talk to him about his growth and, and, and feeling healthy again. But can you imagine you're, you're a top, we got to go get this guy. And you've started 32 games once in the last three years. And you're now heading to be 30 years old. And that is what, that's how desperate teams are. Let's go to Frankie Montas. Frankie Montas took the ball 32 times last year. And Frankie has been a player that you would say, okay, let's look at his career. Came out of the bullpen, really struggled was awful. And I remember a conversation with Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson, and I can't remember who else was there. There was like two other people, and it was at the owner's party at spring training, and Billy looked at me. Well, he had asked, he talked about Sandy because Frankie had thrown that day. And I remember he looked at me and he goes, have you ever seen anybody who throws this hard and is as that good of stuff and gets hit like him? And I was like, yeah, I, I, not really. And this was at the owners, the John Fish, the Fisher family owners meeting that we, we used to have when we had a thing called, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called spring training. Yeah, we used to have that in baseball. Um, but all of a sudden, Frankie found himself. Remember, was 9-2, and two, I believe it was, looking like a guy that could be starting the All-Star game in 2019. Frankie, look at that, Cody. I think he was 9-2. and two. He was absolutely because he came back and pitched one more game at the end of the year. I don't know what his, I don't know if he got a decision there, but I want to say he was nine and two at the time. He was looking to start the All Star game and then the dreaded PED suspension. So here you got MLB Network talking about a guy who gets popped for a PED suspension 2019, 2020, 2020. Frankie, what, what, you know, what was Frankie in 2020? He was a guy with a 5.60 ERA in the shortened COVID season. Three and five with a 5.60 ERA. Last year rebounds with a 3.37. We call that pretty good in baseball today with a 13 and nine record. But in the last three years, you've had suspended for PEDs, horrible year, respectable year and he's out on the market right now like he's a must-have isn't that crazy when you just look at Sean Maniah in the last three years what he's what he's dealt with you look at Frankie Montas what he has dealt with that if you looked at the resume you wouldn't say gotta have those guys but people are so desperate for pitching that no matter what the issues I just talked about and I was thinking about this morning on my couch when I tried to tell Spencer the dog he wasn't didn't care. So I've waited for to tell you, Cody, and our A's cast audience. Think about the last three years for Sean Manaya, last three years for Frankie Montas. 
but they're on MLB's flagship cable channel as if you're out there dealing uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin are out on the market. I thought about this a lot because Manias 30 and Mont- Frankie's going to be 29 at the end of this month. Not young. So, again, uh, I don't need to bring up the age, but I'm going to. The A's have one of the oldest pitching – no, they had the oldest pitching staff in baseball last year. That's starters and relievers combined. So, if you get if you trade these two guys, yeah, d- does the age go down? We'll, we'll see. But you're right. The last three years for both guys haven't been Cy Young worthy. You know, Frankie last year was after he figured it out. He was great. But, you know, you keep hearing today, like John Heyman put it out earlier today, the A's are receiving a ton of interest in Montas and Manaya. Interested teams had hoped there'd be a deal by now, but there's a lot to consider. Both have understandably high price tags, especially Montas, who's not a free agent until after next year. The team's interested, the Yankees, Twins, somehow the White Sox have all this money that they're going to throw around in prospects, whether they have the worst, second-worst-ranked farm system. Uh, Royals, Cardinals, and still many more in. Well. So. They want to win in Chicago. Jerry Reinsdorf is – I don't want to date him too much, so I'm, I, I want, to, want to say at least late 70s, if not 80s. Jerry Reinsdorf was born in 1936. He is 86 years old. So you got Jerry Reinsdorf, the longtime owner of the White Sox and the Bulls, he wants to win another World Series. He's got no shot at winning an NBA title. He got his with Jordan and the boys. He's good. But he wants to win another World Series. He brought in he brought in Tony LaRussa, his buddy, to remedy the uh, biggest mistake he said of his baseball career, getting rid of Tony. Tony's 78? Yeah, that sounds right. So you got an owner that's 86. And you got a manager that's 78. Um, they're not looking for the future. They're looking for now. You're, not, you're telling me they're not looking for a rebuild in Chicago? They're not looking for a rebuild in Chicago. They're looking to win now. So that makes sense, right, for them to go out and be buyers. Now, for a for a team, if I'm just if – I, if I'm a front office, I mean, how old Frankie and Sean are really doesn't matter to me. I just need them – I mean, if you're looking for him for one, two years, but if you're having to give if you're having to give up prime, like your prime assets to get these guys, knowing that you may not have them long term, that's where you have to weigh: is this a a, a a good business deal? Also, something I wanted to get into was there's some there's some players that. And starting with Freddie Freeman, and now Trevor Story and Carlos Correa are on the board. You know, Freddie Freeman didn't even get anywhere near what he thought he was going to get. I mean, he literally scoffed at the idea he was getting under $200 million. And the reality is he didn't even get anywhere close. And breaking down the numbers of what he was able to get from the Dodgers. Six years, $162 million. Atlanta, 
where, you know, that's his team, right? He, that, I mean, he's homegrown. He just won a World Series with them. They, they stayed fast on five years, 140. Now, to you, does not matter. I get it. That's a difference of obviously $22 million. But the business of baseball, which a lot of us don't care about, I do, though, I think it's interesting, is taxes. Years ago, we never heard about taxes. Now, taxes is all the rage. Because when you're in the highest tax bracket in the great state of California, which at some point um, they won't even raise it, which, my God, start taxing the rich like Cody. Guys like Cody get off. He and his his wife are raking it in. Um, your, tax, your tax bracket, the highest you can get in the state of California is 13.3%. Compared to Georgia is 5.75. So, essentially, it's a $13 million. Because of taxes, it's a $13 million difference in the two deals between L.A. and Atlanta. And that's why Freddie Freeman wanted that extra deal. He wanted that, excuse me, he wanted that extra year from five that the Braves were offering to six with the Dodgers because it made up in taxes how much is the final year, that final, oh, it's a six-year deal. But after you get gouged in, ta- in taxes in California, what does that final year of the deal actually work out to? He's, now, you, you, to us, it's big money, but in Major League Baseball, he wanted that extra year to kind of make up for things. His, his final year in L.A. will be for $9 million. Now, for a star player that wanted over $200 million, that's not getting that, when you take the taxes and put him in L.A. his final year because of how the state of California is going to stick it to him, he had to get that extra year just so he could make an extra nine mil because he's losing so much in his deal from Atlanta to L.A. because of California state taxes. You remember the Pablo Sandoval? Pablo had the exact same, I want to say it was five years to 95, five years, 95 between Boston and San Francisco, but he saved $8 million because Massachusetts is a 5% state tax flat fee versus 13.3. He saved, I want to say it was like $8 million. And you go, well, it's $8 million. $8 million? It's a lot of money. Now, I think Harold Reynolds put it best this morning where Harold said on Hot Stove, friend of the program, H as we like to call him, uh, Harold said, listen, man, rich people in California don't care about the taxes. They're in California. They know how beautiful it is. They're fine with the taxes. And he's kind of right. Like, I hate my taxes, but I'm not leaving. I have so many people that ask me, are you going to retire here? Are you going to stay here? I mean, sir, did you look outside today? You see how nice it is outside today? You think I'm going to go live in humidity? You think I'm going to go live where it's 120 degrees so I don't have to pay taxes? As my old man once said, and he proved it, you don't take anything to the grave. You don't take the money. You don't take the business. You take nothing to the grave with you. I rather live a life that I enjoy. But, yeah, so a lot of players are still out there. 
and you're looking at the options because everybody's slamming Colorado over there. We were not thrilled with the Chris Bryant deal. We had to react to it as it just came down. But listening yesterday on the day off, which is so nice to be back in business. All I do is I'm either on SiriusXM or on MLB Channel. I'm not watching the news anymore. I'm not paying. If it's not, if it's just baseball. Just listen to baseball again, thank God. Um, and everybody's talking about how it's such a horrible deal. But you know what the thing is? It's like the teams that have the money to spend and were prepared to spend after the lockout or right before the lockout were the bad teams. It's the bad teams. The Texas Rangers had money to spend. Think about that. Like, like you could say to yourself, well, Marcus Simeon, why do you want to go to the Rangers? Corey Seager, why do you want to go to the Rangers? They stink. Well, they're looking to turn it around, and they're the ones with the money to do it. The Colorado Rockies, because of what happened with Arenado, because of what's happened with whatever was story. Why do you distract Cody has this horrible habit of paying attention to stuff that has nothing to do with anything. As I'm trying to talk and I'm looking at him, he's pumping his fist at a grapefruit league, grapefruit league game kind of box score. So what was so important to distract that you saw on television from a box score on MLB Network? Uh, J.J. Medijevic, who plays for the Astros, is from my hometown. Dude, are you ADD? Uh, no, I'm OCD. What's the difference? I'm really compulsive about everything. Everything has to be the same. So while we're talking and doing a show, it's more important for you of some... It just popped up on the screen and it caught my eye because I saw his name. How about Freddie Freeman today showing up to work with a suit and a glove? I'm all business. It's official. He's a Dodger. <laughs> they announced it earlier. Official Freddie Freeman, a Dodger. But, yeah, I... I, I, I went, when you think of it that way, I think it's easy to it's easy to criticize the Rockies. It's easy to criticize the Rangers. It's easy to criticize the players for making those signings. But the next one on the board is they brought up Baltimore and Carlos Correa. And you're like, why would you go to Baltimore? But then again, Look, it's not like the Yankees are out there trying to be Yankee-like. The Red Sox are not looking to like 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 the certain teams. You know, the Dodgers let let Seager go, who was their World Series MVP. He was their NLCS MVP. Are they looking to go out and sign a deal? I mean, kind of 162 million isn't that big of a deal. Carlos Correa turned down. John Morosi said on Sirius XM today that and you know, he's from Michigan. He's he's got his finger on the pulse of that area that Correa turned down legitly 275 million. Like So it's if you want that kind of deal, where are you going to get that deal? You're probably going to get it from a bad team who's looking to spend. Uh, Melissa's with us. Melissa, how are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. We got baseball back. Yeah, we've all emerged from our rock uh, since the lockout, which has been nice. It's like we're like hobbits that like came out and there's the sunshine. It's like, oh, thank God we got baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can. That's back. Basically, last Thursday was the morning was dark and then the afternoon was bright. It was amazing. The difference and just agreeing to it and knowing that this was coming back. And even if there were trades coming and everything else, we still had baseball. 
Yeah, and I was just talking about, and I wanted to get your opinion on it because we love talking to you about the A's, but we also love talking to you about everything baseball, is it's easy to sit here and criticize, and it looks like players are just doing a money grab. If you're talking about, I don't know, let's talk about Seager and, and Marcus in Texas, now Chris Bryant in Colorado. You know, whether it's a rumor uh, or it's true about Correa could be going to Baltimore, but it's the bad teams that have cleared a lot of, uh, I I don't want to say cap space because we don't have a cap, but that's how we talk about in other sports, but they've cleared sure. a lot, they've cleared a lot of room with their finances and it's the bad teams that have a lot of money to spend. So maybe we shouldn't be shocked that guys are signing with the Rangers or the Rockies or, or the Orioles because those teams are ready now to put out some big contracts and change the culture of their organizations. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? They're not signing one year deals. So you're not looking at it as being like, if they're not good in 2022, they're never going to be good over the life of the contract. And I think if you're Carlos Correa in particular, and you're going to sign an eight year or a 10 year deal or something, um, you know, it, it's not going to matter exactly that 2022 might not be the best year. I think a good example of that might have been Manny Machado, right, when he went from Baltimore to San Diego. Um, and you look at San Diego now, but it wasn't like that when he went. So, um, you know, these things change. And Baltimore has been good before. And they've got a lot of really great young players coming up. And there's no reason to think they can't be good again. And, you know, he's 27 years old, Carlos Correa. So if you're going to build around somebody – it would make sense to do that. So, yeah, I, I think we it's a sort of a weird thing when we criticize teams for not spending and then we criticize players for signing with teams that are not good immediately because they were willing to spend. <laughs> you know, like I think teams should spend. And if, Car- if Chris Bryant wants to be in Colorado and he believes in their long-term future, there's no reason he shouldn't uh, go ahead and sign that contract there. Yeah, he called Mike Hampton and uh, wanted to talk about the school districts there. In, uh, <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, good for him. He seems like a good guy, and he got his money, and uh, Denver's beautiful. So uh, good luck to him. You know, looking at the A's, uh, this morning when I was watching MLB Network, they were talking about uh, Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya and talking and they talked about them being almost a package deal in some of the rumors. And I just thought to myself, is there really an organization out there that has enough really good prospects that you could package these guys to one place and really get the value for these two guys? Do you think that's possible? be surprised i mean i you know anything's possible right like they were talking to you know apparently detroit and certainly they've got two of the five best prospects in in baseball but i don't think those guys are on the table regardless of whether you're sending two or uh or one of those guys you know that direction um I, i would think maximizing value would involve them going in separate directions uh you know you could have looked at maybe packaging you know one of the mats and a pitcher and a big deal and I could see maybe something like that kind of coming together a little bit better but pitching is such a hot commodity you know you look at like even Chris Bassett at his age with one year left on his deal you know he returned a pretty strong return uh you just see how valuable pitching is in the league uh I'd be surprised if they went the same place but you know you never know yeah we will see and 
It just goes to show throughout our entire lives and well after our careers, Melissa, pitching, you just never have enough because I went over it earlier. If you look at the track record the last couple of years for both Frankie and Sean, you know, Sean obviously with the shoulder issues, Frankie with the PED suspension. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're out there trading two guys that have Cy Young Awards and multiple All-Stars and maybe World Series, but... People are so desperate. You can even say the murky last certain things in the last three years are just overlooked because how desperate everybody is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one advantage the A's have had is that, you know, playing where they play and having the infrastructure that they do with Scott Emerson, you know, down and building pitching staffs is that they're able to develop these kinds of, of pitching you know, I hate the word assets because these are people, but like, you know, the idea that you build up somebody and they become valuable, uh, you know, either to your team specifically or as a trade chip. Um, and they've shown they can do that with pitching fairly easily. You know, I, when I, we had talked, I think, uh, many, many months ago uh, about like how you might approach this off season. you know, that's why I was a little more hesitant in thinking that they should trade the mats because they haven't necessarily shown that they can develop that level of player as easily as they can the pitchers, you know, um, but the pitching has always been something that they've been able to develop pretty quickly. I think it wouldn't be shocking if they had a pretty solid pitching staff, even if they trade those guys this year, at least in the starting rotation, because they have some talented guys coming in and they've been able to get a lot out of, you know, players that people maybe haven't heard a lot about until they get here. Um, I mean, I think that's a well that they've dipped into and they've had a lot of success with. And uh, the rest of the league hasn't always had that same success. Well, we wanted to save you for a couple days after the trades to let you dissect all three. So tell me what you really like, whether it's out of Olsen, Chapman, or Bassett trade. Which players do you really have your eye on that say this guy could really help the A's in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, in, we're talking about pitching, and that certainly had been an area in the minor league system that had thinned out quite a bit over the last couple of years. You know, they had graduated some guys, some guys that had injuries that had really stalled out their development or, um, you know, had resulted like with A.J. Puck or, or, or Jesus Lizardo, a different career path than maybe you would have projected. So um, they've really restocked that starting pitching uh, pipeline. You know, I think it's as good now as it was, at the height of having, you know, AJ and, and Jesus is younger prospects and um, they've got velocity back, which I think is something they haven't always had in their system. And I think it's going to, you know, it's obviously become increasingly important uh, in the big leagues. And I think it's going to be something that's really fun for, uh, you know, the pitching development group to work with. So, I, you know, I really liked that. I liked the depth of the pitching that they got. Um, the Braves package, I mean, you know, that was a very impressive haul of talent. You could tell that they were, making that deal with the idea they were going to be keeping Matt Olson around for a long time. So, uh, you know, they gave up three positions. I mean, three players that um, are legitimately could be, you know, top 100 prospects. And, um, you know, Ryan Kusek, he, he went right before Max Muncy in the draft. And he's a guy that they had scouted pretty, um, you know, heavily down out of Wake Forest coming into the draft last year. Uh, obviously, Kristen Pache, he, you know, he could be the center fielder this year, depending on where the bat is, but the glove is already really special. And um, in, in the Coliseum, having someone who can run down a lot of balls in center field is, you know, pretty important. And then Shay Langoliers, I mean, you know, you look at Sean Murphy and everything he brings to an organization, and that's what Shay also brings. And so whether they have both of them together or, 
do something in the future with one or the other, you know, remains to be seen. But the value of having someone like that is pretty exciting. Yeah, and that's a question I know a few people have thrown at me. It's like, well, if they went out and got this guy, Langoliers, does that mean Sean Murphy's going to go anytime soon? Uh, do you think getting Langoliers has anything to do with Sean Murph- Murphy's future? Murph has many, many years under team control. Yeah, I mean, you know, people talked about Murphy as a possible trade chip uh, early on, and I, I was surprised to even hear that because he is so far away from being even, you know, close to free agency or in, you know, still pretty far away from arbitration, relatively speaking. Um, it, you know, again, catching like pitching is so valuable that if you get the right deal um, and you now have Shailene Williers, it certainly makes it easier to trade Sean Murphy. But at the same time, you know, they didn't have any depth past Sean Murphy, really, you know, so, um, I mean, Austin Allen, I think, had a really nice year in Las Vegas, but they didn't give him much time in in the big league level last year, so that's probably fairly telling in terms of what they think about, you know, what he can contribute long-term for them, and then beyond that, the the catching really falls off, um, you know, with the exception of Tyler Soderstrom, who is, you know, still several years away from the big leagues and may not even stay a catcher, so, you know, I think that, um, it, it addressed an area of depth need anyway. Um, but if the right deal came around for Sean Murphy, now you have a, a much more legitimate replacement than you would have before. I know this isn't going to be easy. Let's just act like Sean Murphy, excuse me, Sean Manai and Frankie Montas are traded. They're traded for prospects who are not ready for the big leagues. If that's the case, and you had to just pull it out of a hat and guess who would be the starting five in the rotation? Yeah, I mean, part of it depends on health, right? Like you're looking at James Capillion not being maybe ready for opening day, and, and certainly he would be a name I'd put in there. Um, if, you know, A.J. Puck's the same thing. If they think he can stretch out and be a starter, um, you know, that's certainly there. But, you know, I think Adam Aller, who they was the pitcher besides J.T. Jim, uh, again, that they got in the Chris Bassett deal, He's ready for the big leagues. He had a huge year in the Mets organization last year. Um, Brett Honeywell is going to pitch today. You know, he's a guy that was one of the top starting pitching prospects in all of baseball before his arm just blew up on him. Um, But if he's, you know, anywhere close to where he was before, he's certainly worth a look. And he's out of options. So they're going to give him as many looks as they can possibly give him, I think. Obviously, Cole Irwin, you know, earned that right to be in, in the rotation, I think, last year. Dalton Jeffries, if, he, if he's healthy, certainly looks like he'd be in there. Um, so, you know, those are all kind of the names that you'd be looking at. Um, you know, Brian Howard had a really nice year in AAA last year. I think um, <clears throat> the ERAs being what they are in Las Vegas kind of inflates that because his home ERA was a lot higher than his road ERA. But, you know, the road ERA, there's some tough parts to pitch in there, and it was pretty impressive. And so um, you might see him. Parker Dunchy is another guy that, that you could see come up. Um, they signed Ryan Castellini, who's had some big league starting experience. So there, there's a bunch of guys you probably see kind of turn through. Uh, no idea who the opening day starter would be in a scenario like that, but um, you know that they, they certainly have options that they can can look at for this uh, year if, if those guys are traded. Yeah, if Caprellian is not able to go first week, really, I mean, you're talking about Aller. Oh, well, Cole Irvin, I think, will be the opening day, which is hard to believe in. Cody, you're calling it the uh, – Cole, Cole Irvin revenge series against the re- Philly. The re- right. against, against his old team. <laughs> so, you got Irvin, 
Aller, Honeywell, Jeffries, that would be four. We're talking about if Cap can't go, right? So right. then after that, the fifth is just to flip the coin. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's like everybody in camp, you know, A.J. Puck is still the most talented. Blackburn, them, right? maybe? So, yeah, Black, yeah, Blackburn, yeah, I forgot he's, <laughs> God, he's still there. He certainly, <laughs> um, you know, is a guy who brings back. Um, I mean, you know, it's right. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like they, they tend to get these kind of anonymous guys that kind of come up there and suddenly are like, you know, above average pitchers like Cole Irvin was last year. So, um, you know, Grant Holmes, I, I think, had a disastrous year last year in, in, in AAA, but they feel better about that. Um, Zach Loge, the uh, lefty from Toronto, um, you know, he's a starter. I think some people thought, oh, he'll go right to the bullpen, but he's like a crafty lefty type. Um, that, you know, is similar to Irwin probably in, in a lot of ways. Um, so he, he's another one that I think will fight for, for innings as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is kind of a mix. That, that said, there aren't a lot of teams that you get to the fifth person in their rotation at this point and you're like, for sure, this is the guy that we're going to go with, right? Like that's kind of around the league is not super uncommon. So, um, but it, it's definitely lost a lot of its veteran cachet and, and star power without those two guys. Okay, so one of the main problems last year was velocity in the bullpen. And mm-hmm. the A's starters, they led Major League Baseball in innings pitched last year. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year. Uh, other than Lou Trevino, where, and I don't know, maybe A.J. Puck ends up back in the bullpen. That gives you some velocity. Have they really added any velocity that could help? I, you know, in the future, who knows with the relievers? I'm talking about this season. They're going to get a lot of innings out of the bullpen. Have they added anybody that can really bring it? Yeah, well, uh, Kirby Sneed, who was actually AJ's teammate at Florida, was um, the second left-hander that was in that Blue Jay deal for Ben Chapman. Um, and he, he's not like a hundred mile an hour guy, but he's a mid nineties guy from the left side. Um, certainly would not be considered a finesse reliever. And, uh, you know, he made a nice seven inning debut with the Blue Jays last year, has a long track record in the minor leagues of being an effective reliever. So um, I think he'll get a very long look in the big league bullpen. And it certainly brings a little more juice. Um, you know, I think Wanderson Charles was a guy they didn't see at all last year because of injury, which was a shame, but you know, he's a hundred miles an hour um, flamethrower and, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when, um, you know, camp and we start to see him because command was always his big thing and we haven't really seen him in a year. But if he's throwing strikes or close enough to strikes that people will swing at it, you know, he's got that fastball breaking ball combination that, you know, is what you look for. Uh, Non-roster, you know, they brought back Danny Jimenez and I think there's a very good chance he makes the team. Um, he was a rule five pick last year that in a different scenario, I think probably would have stuck, but they had brought in enough veteran arms that there wasn't really room for him. Um, but he went back to Toronto after not making the team and had an outstanding year in AAA. Uh, so, you know, he's certainly another one that, that would bring some, you know, velocity there. Zach Jackson's a very deceptive guy from in AAA who I think would have joined the bullpen last season when they were starting to have all their breakdowns, but he had a hip injury. Um, you know, he can get in that mid nineties, uh, slot and he's also very hard to pick up. So a lot of swing and miss. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, that 100 miles an hour all the time 
sort of look that you see from a lot of other teams, but there is a little more velocity there than last year. You know, one of the problems with what we're having, and I just look at the schedule as we start A's baseball coming up here at 105 and we end on April 5th. I mean, there's not a lot of whole, it's not a lot of time for guys to earn jobs and to impress the manager in the front office and games and, you know, all the split squads and backfield stuff. I mean, this is going to be a really quick sprint to the start of the season. So I think about the A's versatility as much as we're going to look to the future. We still, I, at least I do every night. I got to talk about the team on the field and I think about Pender and I think about Kemp and I think about machine and I, you know, obviously Kevin Smith who come over, comes over from the blue Jays. He's got the ability to third, short, second, just, how important is it going to be for this team, maybe Nick Allen too, a short second base, just in the infield, versatility is all over the place, and that hopefully can be a strength. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you look at Sheldon Noisy was brought back as well um, on a minor league, or he was picked at claimed off waivers, and, uh, you know, he, he can play third base and second base quite well, and then is, uh, you know, was the shortstop to start with. So can certainly be an emergency guy there as, as well. Uh, they brought back Billy McKinney. <laughs> we're, we're, we're replaying all the hits, um, but you know, he, he's first base and can play all three outfield spots as well. So, I mean, I think versatility in general around baseball has become, uh, you know, one of the most important things you can have if you're a position player. Jonah Bride is one of my absolute favorite prospects. And, uh, you know, they just asked him at the end of last season to learn how to catch. And he went and learned how to catch, caught in the Arizona Fall League, uh, has been working out, catching big leaguers, you know, during um, the lockdown. And he's going to get a long look. But, you know, he's a third baseman, second baseman, first baseman, and quite good at all those positions who can catch now. And that's kind of cool. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of different things. Mickey McDonald, who was added as a, a non-roster invitee, is probably one of the better defensive outfielders that you can see um but he played a little bit of third base in, in college and they asked him to do that in vegas last year and he looked good so you know he's another one that the versatility is something that i think will be really important max schumann's a a super fast shortstop that stole over 50 bases last year who they threw out in center field at the end of last season and was able to handle that i think you'll probably see a little bit of him this season as well um, so the, the ability to move around, the ability to stay on the field and be healthy, I think are two of the most important things if you're a position player in the big leagues anywhere now. And certainly, you know, I think it'll help the A's quite a bit. Yeah. The athletic is a, is it's a great resource for all sports. And it really shows you that we can still do quality journalism and your Jonah bride article that you did in the athletic during the lockout was very good. And it just was so telling, like you're scratching your head going, Oh my God, what, what, what's the big club going to look like? We've talked about the infield. You think about the outfield without, with without Ramon Laureano for what the first 27 games, uh, First couple of games, how you see in the outfield? Yeah, you know, I think before these trades, I was a little bit of a question as to what would they do in center field. You obviously have Sky Bolt, you have Luis Ferreira. Um, it sounds like Cody Thomas won't be available to start the year, which is a shame. But, um, you know, there were some options there. Buddy Reed is back as a, a non-roster invitee, and if he can stay healthy, got to see a little bit of what he could do last spring. Um, but I think it was going to be a really big, kind of question mark and then they acquired Pache and I think it's a question of whether they think his bat's ready now or whether he needs to do more in AAA 
Um, but you know, the, the defense is already going to be there. And so if, if they would rather he work with Tommy Everidge at the big league level on his hitting, as opposed to going to AAA and working on it there, um, you know, that you may see him out there, even if the hitting's going to, um, not match up right away because the defense already can. Uh, so, you know, I think there's, and then you, you look at Steven Piscotti, obviously the health is always the big question for him, but if he's healthy, he probably gets a decent number of the reps in right field. And then, you know, you look at Pinder and Brown, um, whether they're playing out in left field or whether Brown is, is playing a lot of first base, I think remains to be seen, but um, he, that's a pretty solid platoon probably from a power perspective anyway, if, if you get to that point. And obviously Kemp and uh, Machine can play a little bit out there as well. Well, if there's anywhere in the world I would like to go work on my hitting, that would be down with Fran Reardon and the Vegas Bombers because uh, you go down there and uh, everybody's Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig down there. Right. Well, I think that's sometimes the danger. <laughs> you have to decide whether you think that would be productive or whether you think they'd be learning the wrong things. But, um, you know, I think Tommy did such a great job with the hitters down there and getting them to still focus on what was important to know how to do that would translate when you got to a normal hitting environment that I think that, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's going to be in almost a development type position, even at a big league level now. Um, so a lot of what he was able to successfully do with those hitters in AAA, um, I think will really translate over, uh, you know, to this younger big league uh, roster that he's got in front of him. So um, yeah, but it's, you know, the pitchers, they, they shrink from it, and the hitters, they love it. So it, it's a definitely a different environment. So whenever we're in a situation where the team is making a transition, we as the people who cover the ball club, we have to make our transitions too. And, you know, the past couple of years we focused on winning the division and winning 95-plus games. And, you know, past couple of years we've talked about, hey, you might need to win a win 100 to win the division to get out of the wild card. Now we're going to transition, obviously, because – I just that's it's it's the only fair deal. And I've been talking about, you know, finding the blue the blueprint for the future starts today at one oh five for the A's. The new journey, the new voyage starts today under Mark Kotze, who I think now is the perfect uh, fit as a guy for a shortened you know, you lose Bob Melvin, you lose a guy that's been your leader. You get Mark Kotze, who's been around all these young players. He's been around everybody in the minor league system. He's so familiar with the front office, not just because of when he played, but all the work he's done with Bob and the staff and the shortened spring. You know, if you brought in a new guy, I don't know how he would gain the trust or start these relationships in such a short time. It's like Bob's out, Mark's in, all good. But, you know, what's the number one thing – and it's early, obviously, with the first spring training game. But what's the number one thing you're looking forward to this season to help build that blueprint to get back to the postseason? Yeah, I, th I think a lot of it is finding identity, you know, finding what is the next A's group going to look like. I think the identity of the last one was, you know, surrounding the mats and, you know, these long at-bats, a lot of power, maybe not necessarily hitting for a lot of average, but you know, really able to, to grind out those long at bats and then great defense on the corners um, and the pitching, the starting pitching really ruled the day. Um, you know, what will be the next identity? I think it's pretty clear from the guys that they uh, acquired, you know, Smith, Langoliers and Pache are all well known for their defense. Um, and then they went after pitching. And so I think pitching and defense are probably going to be, 
you know, the mainstays of what this new look is going to be for, for the A's. And I think, you know, we've always talked about people laugh. Oh, it's, you know, are the A's going to, are the athletics going to be athletic again? You know, like, but I do think that you've seen a trend towards that kind of player being, you know, what they've targeted in the draft, what they've targeted in trades. And, uh, you know, I, I think you will probably see a more athletic athletics team. I know that <laughs> <laughs> working for the athletic, it's a lot of words, but, um, you know, so a team that can, can play players can play everywhere. They can run a little bit. Um, they may need to do a bit more, uh, you know, kind of strategically to score runs as opposed to waiting for the three run homer. And, um, you know, it'll be different, but I think in time it could be an exciting way to look at it. And, you know, that, that has been a blueprint that has worked at the Coliseum for, you know, since 1968. And so um, if that is the way that this team develops, at least, you know, they know they're going to be at the Coliseum for the next several years, uh, even with a new stadium coming, you know, it's, it's probably the right way to build a, a new team. So, uh, you know, I, I love outfield defense, center field, Dwayne Murphy's still my favorite player of all time, right? You know, it, 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 it would be fun to see a player like that be able to run down some balls in center field. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be fun. Watching Nick Allen play shortstop is going to be a joy. So those will be the things I think I'll look at. It would make a great radio tease. Will the athletics be athletic again? Coming up next right here on A's Cast. Hey, great stuff as always. You are the best. We'll keep reading you on the athletic, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Melissa Lockhart does a great job covering this organization for the athletic. You know, today is going to be a day, and I know we'll we'll talk to David Force, the general manager, about it at 1230 because I know that they're getting to sense it, um, and we'll get it for the first time today is – A's broadcast without Ray Fossey. And Ray would have been on the show today. Um, No doubt about it. Ray would have been on most of the shows leading up to the season. And then I would talk to Ray uh, every day. And A's baseball without Ray Fossey. But, you know, Ray, as my mother told me right before she passed, she says, I'll always be in your heart. Ray will always be in our heart. He'll always be with us. I don't think there's ever a time. I wasn't, I was, I was never close to Bill King. I knew Bill King, but I was never close to him. I only talked to him a couple times. But I, I can tell you the guys that were close to him, that Bill King lives inside them, no doubt. And I think Ray Fossey, for us that knew Ray real well, And I think you say the same thing with Dick Callahan. They're always going to be with us as long as we're around and we're around the A's. So today will be, it'll be sad, but also we got to have a huge smile on our face and to know that Ray's looking down and Ray would have loved, absolutely loved the start of spring training today. And we would have been playing, no doubt, the State of the Union with uh, Ray Fossey and Billy Bean. That was always that was always awesome at the beginning of the year. It was always like 30-something minutes. It would be multiple parts, and we would play it on this show. I'd play it on 95-7, the game. I used to cut it up, and we would use it throughout spring training. You know, because Billy would always, you know, Billy Billy's a straight shooter with everybody, but, you know, there was a special love that Ray brought out of Billy and brings out of everybody because, you know, 
Ray Fossey is ace baseball. And, you know, being the former player, Ray always, it didn't matter if the team was going to be good or going to be bad. Ray was excited. Ray was happy for the players. Ray was always pumping the players up because he knew just how damn hard this game is. To play one year, two years, five years, 12 years, 18, 20-something years. Man, professional sports is hard. It's hard just to get to the NFL. It's hard just to get to the NBA or Major League Baseball, the PGA Tour or tennis or whatever. It's hard to get there and even harder to stay there. You're playing against the best in the world. Professional sports is about just not this country. It's people from all over the world are playing these different sports. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And to be that person that can get there, man. And to stay there long term, it's special. And Ray always reminded us, he always reminded us how tough it really is. All right, coming up next, we're going to head to Florida. One of the most interesting team, if not the most interesting team in baseball, not just because of player moves, but because of where they are, who they're battling against, and what they want to become. We're going to address that team next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Anthony DeComo from MLB.com is going to join us to talk about the Mets and what is going on with the Mets in Florida. They are a they're a hot team. I think there's no question about it. But you think about somebody that could be, I mean, if the Mets win. And they're doing it kind of the old school New York way. You got an owner with big bravado. You got an owner with big, I mean, guys worth $16 billion. Wall Street hedge fund guy. I mean, he's looking to come in and he loves the team. He's he's with so many different um, fan bases. It's what they want, right? Whether it's smart or not, they want the super rich guy who doesn't care and he's going to come in and spend all that money. And people are saying that the uh, luxury tax, the CBT, is because of him. And the Yankees have dominated for so long. They've dominated the conversation. Can the Mets take New York? And Cohen becoming the big dog in New York. It could be fascinating. And, of course, with uh, some former A's on there. Anthony, Chris Townsend here on A's Cast Live. It's great to have you back on the program. Hey, Chris. Happy to be on. You've got so many things going around this ball club, whether it's signings, it's trades, 
it, it, it's the owner, it's the Mets versus the Yankees, who's going to be the dominant team, who's going to get all the attention. What has the start of spring training been like for the New York Mets? Yeah, it's been decidedly unmessian, if that's a uh, if that's a word. This is a team, and this is a fan base that for very long was kind of used to being second fiddle and used to being on the outside looking in of a lot of conversations, whether that's you know off season acquisition conversations or even even conversations from people like us talking about the best teams and the best franchises in baseball. Now, all of a sudden, you know, within the span of of less than two years, you get a new owner in and and you start spending and, and to such an extent that you know, it's really making waves around the game. And it's a, it's a totally different conversation. I think it's, it's taken some getting used to for some people who have been around this team for a long time. But you're seeing it now early in spring. There's just a different buzz around the team. Uh, it's, a, it's a locker room that is very excited, but also very businesslike, knowing that this is a club that could potentially go all the year this way, go all the way this year or, or challenge for us. So, Steve Cohen has made a lot of changes in his time as owner, and uh, they're really manifesting themselves in a big way right now. Yeah, and he's got bravado, but of course he has a. He's got bravado. He's a Wall Street hedge fund guy. You don't become worth. I mean, let's face it, Anthony. You, you're not worth sixteen billion dollars because you don't have a whole lot of bravado. It might be seventeen billion too. It depends on <laughs> what estimate you use. But, no, you're absolutely right. Look, this is a guy who who very clearly isn't afraid to shake things up. And he's also very clearly, you know, just because you're worth $17 billion, it doesn't mean much for an major league franchise if you're not willing to spend it on the product. He's very clearly willing to spend it. He's very clearly willing to put a lot of money into the New York Mets, and not just in the player payroll, but in all sorts of aspects of the organization to make this team better and to make them a consistent winner. So, like I said, all of a sudden you've got this, this franchise that for years – for decades, for, you know, let's be honest, the majority of its existence has been the punchline of a lot of jokes. And now all of a sudden, people are seeing them in a totally different light. This is a team that, uh, you know, since Steve Cohen came on, we've talked about the Mets wanting to be the Dodgers of the East. And uh, they're certainly trending in that direction with some of the things that they're doing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Billy Bean has great stories about coming up with that Mets group that would eventually win a World Series. I was in high school at the time. There was that run in the early 2000s with Piazza, and they get to the World Series but lose. But, yeah, uh, there was that uh, bracket that they did about the Mets and all the funny different bad stuff that happened to the Mets. I thought that was hilarious. But it's now time to turn it around, and I think of – DeGrom and his contract and, and opting out and the future of him uh, obviously has the ability to be an all-time great. What do you think happens with him? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and he's the great X factor of this team, Jacob DeGrom is, because his range of outcomes could be anything from a similar season to what we saw last year, in which case you start to get really worried about his long-term future and, and what it could look like. And, you know, or the other end of that spectrum is Jacob DeGrom simply going back to what he was before last year, becoming once again one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball because his performance when healthy has never really been in question. So, uh, you know, for all the Mets did and for all the Mets added to their roster and, and changed their roster and changed, you know, the coaching staff, ownership, everything on down, it's still a team that revolves around Jacob DeGrom. He's still the best player on, on the roster. He's still the best player on the field every time he takes the field. And they're going to have a tough time winning without him at his best. But 
conversely, if he is at his best, watch out because then suddenly this becomes a team that can make a deep run into October. What do you think Max Scherzer brings to the clubhouse from a standpoint of who Max Scherzer is in our industry? How does that work and what does he do for the Mets? And I'm just not talking about as a pitcher, he, but as as the dude, what does he bring? Yeah, I totally understand. I think, um, you know, I think he brings a lot. I think it's, it's obvious in terms of his leadership qualities, um, his competitiveness. This is a guy who knows what it takes to win, who knows how to win a World Series, who's won a World Series, um, is as well-respected as really any player in the game. And he's coming into a clubhouse that had its issues last year. And really has maybe kind of had a leadership void uh, over the past few seasons, uh, probably going back as far as to when David Wright retired after the 2018 season. Um, there's, there's been a little, bit, a little bit of a leadership void around here. And I think Mets officials have acknowledged that. They understand that. And it's not just Max Scherzer. They brought in Scherzer as, as, as one of the biggest pieces both on and off the field for this. But they brought in a lot of high-quality, high-character guys, guys with reputations of being good clubhouse guys. Um, you know, whether that's Mark Canna, whether that's Eduardo Escobar, uh, you know, Chris Bassett from the A's would fall into that group as well. So they brought in a lot of these pieces uh, that they're hoping, yes, will be good players on the field, but off the field can maybe help correct some of these issues. And, and again, the ultimate goal here is to take the Mets to a place where they're no longer that punchline of jokes. And, and winning will do that, but guys like Max Scherzer can help do that too just, just from their presence alone. When you talk about a resume of a World Series champion, a gold glover, a eight-time All-Star, a five-time Silver Slug Award winner, an All-Star Game MVP, and and at the position at second base, you start thinking, you look at that resume and you go, oh, that guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. And my producer and I were talking about, you know, bringing you on today and what we were going to talk about is like, yeah, don't forget – Robinson Cano's back, and it's like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about him. I mean, the multiple suspensions. I mean, the numbers are there, but you got you now got two years left at $24 million per. I know the Mariners are picking up probably close to around $4 million of that, but uh, I totally forgot about Robbie Cano. What's it going to be like him coming back? Do they just eventually pay him off? How do you think this works out? Well, it's going to depend a lot upon what Cano produces. Uh, you know, the Mets organization made a decision to bring Robbie Cano back. He, he was under guaranteed contract. That didn't mean that they had to bring him into the clubhouse. They could have just said, here, we'll pay you your money and, and go away. But they didn't do that. They, they thought, um, A, that Cano could come back in a professional way and, you know, be a veteran, positive influence in the ways that he can in the clubhouse. And, and B, they, they frankly still felt that there was some life in that bat. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, Cano probably won't ever get into the Hall of Fame because of his two PED suspensions. Uh, but if you look at the numbers alone and take that out of the equation, he is a borderline Hall of Famer, if not already on the inside, um, you know, looking out. So there's certainly hope within the organization that even in his late 30s now, you know, Cano can still be a source of offense. He could come off the bench. He can DH. He can play a little bit of second base, um, you know, and they hope get some big hits for them over the course of the season. But you know, as you kind of intimated, if that's not the case and he's just kind of cooked and he's not able to produce anything, then I think that conversation will come up very quickly of, 
why is this guy still here and do we just cut bait? You know, a good friend of our program, Sandy Alderson, uh, was throw you know was a part of some rumors that had to do with the A's, and obviously it was not about players. It was about Billy Bean. It was about Bob Melvin, and you know changing the culture of the New York Mets. And ultimately, Bean stayed here. Melvin ended up in San Diego, and Buck Showalter, who all the respect in the world, and whenever you interview him, you know you're dealing with a really, really bright guy. Uh, when it talks about you talk about building organizations, he helped build the Yankees back in the day. He helped build the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, end up getting the Orioles into the postseason. How do you think the fit is going to be with Buck and the New York Mets? Yeah, I think it's a good fit. I think, um, you know, I think New York is such a different animal in terms of the responsibilities, particularly the media responsibilities. Um, and I think bringing in another guy who had not previously done the job, um, you know, maybe someone who's, who's young and bright and, 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 and looks the part and can do all those things. You know, typically, uh, you know, I advocate for those guys, guys who are not necessarily the quote-unquote retread, guys who you don't know quite what you're going to get. But I think with this particular veteran team, win now in this market, um, with everything that comes along with that, I think they needed a guy who is exactly like Buck Showalter. They needed someone who had done it before here, um, who had had some success throughout his career, and who knows what it takes. You're seeing it now in the early days of spring training. I mean, there's just such an ease about Buckshell Walter. Uh, he's comfortable. He's in his elements, um, you know, dealing with us in the media as well as dealing with players. He, he's got a ton of energy. I've seen him out on the backfield, you know, just kind of going around and orchestrating workouts in, in ways that, frankly, I haven't seen from other managers who have come through here. I mean, he's got his hands in everything, and he's not really – you know, delegating certain aspects of it to his coaches. He wants to be involved in every little bit of it. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people around here of high hopes for Buck Showalter and what he can do for the team. And, um, yeah, I, I think in this particular case, a veteran savvy manager is exactly what they needed. You know, I'm not totally up on all my New York sports, but I know for the most part, uh, the Nets are all right. The Rangers are doing okay. The Devils stink. The Knicks stink. Uh, obviously the Giants and the Jets stink. I got to think New York coming out of hibernation of the winter can't wait for baseball, right? And, and a and a and a uh, media war, I guess you would say, between the Yankees and the Mets. That could be a lot of fun this summer. Absolutely, I think there's, there's a lot of hand wringing on the other side of town right now, just because the Yankees haven't been quite as active as the Mets have been in, in free agency and. And, uh, you know, they did spring, obviously, that big Gary Sanchez trade. But I think there's a lot more optimism in general around the Mets than there is around the Yankees right now, which is a pretty – which is something that I guess uh, those of us in New York are not used to. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you talk about New York sports – you know, frankly, the New York sports team, professional sports team, just ha hasn't been all that fruitful for fans over the last decade or longer. Um, they haven't had a ton of consistent winners in this town outside of the Yankees who, you know, measure their, their success in the World Series and haven't had one of those since 2009. So um, the point is this. I think there's a buzz around the Mets, as I mentioned earlier. People are excited about what this team can do. And there have been points throughout history, whether it's 1986 or um, really even like 2006, 2015, when 
the Mets kind of spike up and maybe even for temporary periods of time past the Yankees in terms of fan interest, in terms of engagement, in terms of capturing people's imaginations. And this is a big opportunity right now in 2022 for, for this Mets franchise to do the same thing again. Let's end on this because I'm thinking about last year and the Mets pretty much led the division for a good part of the season. And then it just became like every other day you looked at the standings and it's the Phillies are in first place. And then now it's the Braves and it's back to being the Mets. And it's not like the Braves had this incredible 105 win season and then won the World Series. I mean, they won what, like 88 games. Uh, when you when you handicap this division, now Freeman's gone, but our own Matt Olson is in there. He's a terrific player, going to hit a ton of bombs, and he's phenomenal defensively. Uh, I know Philly is still looking to add at this point. Uh, if you had to handicap this division, how do you see the National League East? Yeah, I think, I think the Mets are the most complete team. Um, certainly, that's not taking anything away from – from the defending World Series champions, but you know they lose a little something without Freddie Freeman, and, and no disrespect to Matt Olson there, but Freddie Freeman was an all-time player for that franchise, and, and they're going to miss him. Um, they do still have great pitching. The Phillies have done a lot to fortify their offense, so uh, it's not as if the Mets are going to steamroll this division. I don't see that by any means, but I do think when you look at the weaknesses of those top three teams in the NL East, uh, the Mets are, are the club that doesn't really have an obvious one. Their offense is pretty good. The rotation has, you know, potential to be one of the best in the game. They've added some bullpen pieces. So, uh, you know, their defense has gotten a lot better over the last two, three years. So there's not a ton not to like about this Mets roster. It's not a perfect roster. There are definitely some big-time injury risks, particularly in the rotation. But um, there also isn't a perfect team in the NL East. And, and, uh, you know, the closest we've got to a perfect team in baseball is probably – way out on the other coast in Los Angeles. So if you're handicapping the division, uh, you know, I think it's hard to put the Mets anywhere but tentatively at the top, and then we'll see how these first couple months of the year go in terms of who can stay healthy and um, you know, who can really make a run. But I think it's the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, probably in that order in terms of uh, what you're looking at of, of the three competitors in the NL East. Well, you know you're going good when you say, yeah, the guy's worth $16 billion. You go, eh, if you look at it closer, it may be seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, It's a good problem to have is, uh, you know, worrying about that sort of accounting. Hey, great stuff. We're going to be reading you, and we're going to be watching because the, uh, the Battle of New York and the AL East is going to be very, very interesting, as in you're going to love Chris Bassett. He's a salt-of-the-earth guy. Uh, Mark Canna, once you get to know him, he's a foodie. He's a really good guy. And then Starling, God, Starling kind of reminded us of Ricky Henderson down the stretch last year. So you've got some former A's there that we're going to be paying attention to. So uh, enjoy this year, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's hope for a fun fun season. No doubt. Anthony DeComo of MLB.com. As you know, Mark Cann is a South Bay guy. He's San Jose. I mean, he grew up literally blocks from where I live. Went to high school right down the street from me. Yeah, at Bellarmine. Bellarmine guy, Cal guy. I mean, he played Little League at the Little League right across from my house. It was going on yesterday when I was over there. Yeah. By the way, a lot, you, lot of a lot of cars out in front of my house these days. Parking was hard. It was uh, limited parking yesterday. Uh, you brought it up on TV right now. Is Dodgers legend Freddie Freeman? And apparently, he was asked, "Did you see Alex Antopoulos's uh, 
tears and he goes, I saw them. That's all I'm going to say. Because <laughs> they asked him, Rick, about, like, I think it was essentially when they traded for Olsen, uh, about, like, Freddie Freeman. And, like, I guess uh, Anthopolis started, like, crying or tearing up talking about Freddie Freeman. So. He's saying bogus. Pretty, it's what it, so- it seemed like. And then I told you. Well, okay, it's, uh, let's, we got some time. Let, let's kind of address this, all right? So we have multiple we have multiple things going on in our sport that are a little bit of head scratchers, right? We talked about this two days ago. Here's one, all right? You said to me, would I rather have Nolan Arenado or what's going on in Colorado right now with Chris Bryant? And my answer was what? Arnado. I think everybody in the sport, if you had to choose between these two players, they would go with Arnado. Uh, yes, I agree. So, I was, I was not even close to as harsh as everybody was because we got to de- we got with, we got to deal with the Chris Bryant deal as it happened. Right, everybody else got to deal with it hours later, if not a day later. So yesterday. I'm listening, you know, I'm watching MLB Network. I'm listening to SiriusXM MLB channel, and everybody's just hammering the deal time about how horrible it is, right? So I remember going, I, I, I don't understand it. I like Darnado, but everybody really crapped hard on it, right? And that's kind of tough to do because if Chris Bryant goes out and puts up monster numbers, then you look like an idiot. So we'll see on that one. But it just goes to show – and, and to be fair, management has changed in Colorado, right? So the guys that Arenado had beef with are no longer there, correct? Yeah, Jeff Burditch is out. Their new GM's name is Schmilt Bill. Schmidt or Schmidt What is their GM's name now? It's Bill something. Schmitty, Schmilt, something. It's uh, Their GM is Bill Schmidt, yeah. Bill Schmidt. And the other one was Jeff His Burditch. nickname's Schmitty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, but think about that. Here you had an issue with Arenado. You signed him to be a franchise guy. You end up moving him. You have Trevor Story, who's in your stable, who you don't end up signing. Still could re-sign. Don't know. But think about that. And then you get Chris Bryant. So you said goodbye to your two guys in Arenado and Story and picked up Bryant. Same thing here. You got Freeman, Mr. Brave, and then you trade and sign Olsen and basically cut the cord with him to where you're willing to give Olsen the longer contract. Obviously, Olsen's a lot younger, what, by four years? Yeah. Uh, but you, 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 you stayed right on that. We're not going more than five years with Freddie Freeman. So here, there's a couple of different examples of we'll only offer this to this guy or we'll get rid of that guy, sign this guy, how these front offices work and how they see things. I mean, they just hired a new data guy in Colorado and now have fired him. They hired a new guy to be the smart guy in the room, right? The data analyst, whatever his title was. And he was there a couple weeks and then they fired him and obviously signed Chris Bryant. So I don't know what the beef was there, but just weird how the sport works. I mean, you had Arenado, you had Story, you're losing both of those guys, and then now you sign Chris Bryant to the long-term deal, and here you had a guy that was your guy, your franchise player. You could have easily have inked up before the lockout. You could have inked him up last season 
You don't end up blocking him, and now you got Matt Olson. So it's like how you pick players and keep players. I mean, look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers let Seager walk, who was their World Series MVP, through their organization, and now have Freddie Freeman. Who took his number also. I mean, just, just it's a there. bizarro world. It is. And Freddie, speaking of Freeman and the Dodgers, Freddie said that um, he only got two calls this winter from the Braves. And the Dodgers were the most aggressive team. So all these reports about, oh, the Braves want to keep them. You know, this yeah. is the, they, apparently, according to Freddie Freeman, the source, the source is himself, they got, he got two phone calls from the Braves. His agents got two phone calls from the Braves this winter. And they went out and, he, as you mentioned, got Matt Olson. Thinking about Freeman with the Dodgers real quick, the Dodgers now have four former MVPs on their team. That's ridiculous. Well, they had five last year. Who was who left? It was there last year. Pools. Oh, oh. yeah. The Scherzer won an MVP though, so they would have four still. But still, like right now, they have four. Last year they had four or five. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you had Pools. Bellinger, you had Mookie, you had Clayton. Yeah, Pools. You had Pools. Did anybody else win? Anybody else they had win one? No, we're not counting World Series MVPs. So no, now they have four with Freeman. They replace they replace Albert Pujols with Freddie Freeman. I think that might work. I think it might work out for him. I think I'd much rather have Freddie Freeman than Albert Pujols at this point in their careers. Uh, yeah. Well, you just look at the divisions right now. I mean, I do like what the Giants have done. I I do like Jock Peterson on a one year deal. The kid from Palo Alto High. Did you know that Jock Peterson was a terrific high school wide receiver? Not until you've mentioned it to me before. But does not surprise you when you watch him play outfield. He can go. He's a big dude, and he can go get it. Yeah, that was a good move for them. Apparently, they're like rumored to be in on. Uh, they're one of the four teams rumored on Trevor Story, but they have Brandon Crawford who just resigned to a to to a extension. So what does that mean? Story's got to change positions if the Giants want to. Was and they it, love flexibility. Was it interesting to you that Mr. Flexible Chris Bryant was someone that they – doesn't sound like after – you know, usually the Giants understand just because it's cold. We live here. We get it. We know what San Francisco's like throughout the year. San Francisco, the best time for San Francisco weather is in the fall, right? Fall's good. Yeah. But for the most part – you can get a random hot day, but it's cold. You watch Giants games, and it's cold. Guys don't like hitting there. I remember Todd Helton talking about how he hated playing in San Francisco. Um, Jeff Bagwell may be the only guy that ever loved hitting in San Francisco. For some reason, at Candlestick Park, Bagwell loved it. And he always said, it's a miserable place to play. I just see the ball really well here. Um, usually for the Giants, they trade for guys – Guys come to San Francisco, they fall in love with being here, they fall in love with that, and then they want to resign. Something that would be to talk to somebody because it's not, you know we're going to talk about every single team. So whoever would probably get Su- our friend Susan Slusser on to talk about the San Francisco Giants to say what happened in Bryant's time from the trade you brought him in, you had him, whether he wanted to stay here or didn't. Or the team wanted him to stay here or didn't. The Giants never seemed to be big players in the Chris Bryant sweepstakes. Yeah, you didn't really hear about him very much. And now that they got Jock, and you mentioned they also had a Matthew Boyd, the guy from Detroit that I'm not a big fan of, but they gave him like a deal for like $5 million. So they add him to the rotation. 
Uh, Farhan's done a really nice job turning that team around and overhauling some of the the bad contracts. Well, not overhauling, but Buster Posey retired and they re-signed Crawford and gave Brandon Belt a new deal. So uh, Brandon Belt had a great year last year, even when he was hurt. So we'll see what they do this year. But I like what they've done in a division where the Dodgers just keep spending and the Rockies now are spending and the Padres are doing what they're doing. So it's been a nice offseason for them. Let's just see what they do the rest of the way. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Do we have David Forrest? David, Chris Townsend. Tony, what, what's we, up, Tony? We've got the start of baseball coming your way at 105. I mean, you think about all the time that we couldn't talk baseball and we couldn't talk players and we couldn't talk about uh, where the business was going, but now we got our CBA and just to hear the crack of the bat and to hear the games on 80s cast and the radio, just thank God it's back. Just all, all those months, I kept trying to call into the show to talk to you and Cody, and nobody would let me through. It's just it's a bummer. We had to ban you. How sad was that? <laughs> it was. It was. It was a rough three and a half months. I'll be honest. I know. I know the fans were out there wondering what the heck was going on, and, and it wasn't fun for anyone. You know, we didn't get to do our job. The players didn't get to uh, to get here on time, and I'm I'm certainly glad that that's all behind us our guys are here they've they've been put in sprint mode the last four or five days trying to get ready for this one but it is it's exciting exciting to see the fans here in the ballpark right now our guys getting ready uh and to see mark Kotze ready to manage his first spring training game you know the the first thing that i wanted to talk to you about and we addressed it earlier today and it's going to be sad is our first broadcast without Ray Fossey. And I know what Ray Fossey yeah. meant to this organization. You've known Ray Fossey for so long. I know he was a friend of yours and Billy's. And Ray has watched you grow up from a young executive to get married to having your kids. And Ray always being so positive to all of us throughout of our career, throughout our careers, and the growth, the growth in our our lives, and to watch our lives grow just. For someone like yourself who's known Ray for so long, just how tough is this spring going to be, especially starting today without our guy? Yeah, man, you said it, Chris. He just he was so uh, omnipresent here in, in every way, particularly in the spring. You'd see him standing behind the cage and walking around, and um, it is, it's, it's going to be hard not having him. I, I've seen, seen Ken and Vince already, and, and I know they're preparing to work without him, and he was, you know, what it's interesting what, what was said so much about him after he passed was so true. He was so warm and welcoming to everybody from the, the moment I got here, you know, 23 years old or whatever, and had no, you know, no baseball resume. He couldn't wait to, to take me in and ask about the team and get my thoughts and then um, you know, over the years, we always wanted to talk about the moves. I still have a voicemail on my phone. He called me after we made the, the Elvis trade last, last spring, or I guess last off season to, 
you know, just to say how impressed he was with what we were doing to build the team. And it was such a compliment for someone like me to get from him who'd been in the game for decades. And he was so, so sort of quick to spread his, his sort of love of the game. So no, you, you hit on the head. It's, it's going to be hard not having him around. I know how much our fans are going to miss hearing his voice. And there's certainly a void here this spring. Yeah, and we're going to honor him throughout the season. It's going to be special, and he'll, and he'll always be in our hearts, no question about it. And Ray under, always understood the business of baseball. So when the team was a team expected to win, you know, 90-plus games, do 100 games and compete for the division, he understood that. And then he understood well, there were the times where it became a retooling situation, and he was always so good to the new young players. And that's kind of the mode that we're back in is the retooling. Uh, the CBA gets done. You get back to business. You've made the three big moves. Uh, tell us what the moves were like, how they came about, and when you really knew that, you know what, we're going to take the franchise in a different direction in 2022. Yeah, I mean, look, not to deflect from your question, but can you imagine how much Ray would have enjoyed meeting Shay Langoliers and getting to know him and, oh. and looking at his game because he's such such an exciting young catching kid. Ray would have Ray would have loved that, but um, no, look, we, you know, we've, we've made the moves we have over the last week. Um, we knew going in, going into the off season, like you said, this was, you know, this was going to be a time of transition and, um, and man, there were some, those were some tough conversations to have this week. There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. Um, you know, a guy like Matt Olson, who's been basically been in the organization for 10 years, Chappie for eight, uh, you know, Bass became a big leaguer when he came over here from the White Sox. So um, it's, yeah, there's been a lot of changes around here. I think our clubhouse has handled it really well. Obviously, you know, Mark has had a big role in that and in, in keeping the, the positivity and the, the energy up. Um, but it, it was something that we started back in November with the conversations and had to put kind of hit the pause button there for a few months. But once the lockout was lifted last uh, Thursday, we kind of picked up where we left off. I, 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 I've wondered for all 30 teams, like when you talk about how you're going to run your organization and the game plan for each organization, like how much do you think, whether it's y the team you run or the other executives you're talking to, like guys had game plans heading into the lockout, then once they saw what the CBA was actually going to be, might have changed the way people do business. Have you seen that at all while you're making all the calls that maybe some people change directions after they actually found out what the new rules were? We definitely had teams that we spoke to last Thursday who were in a very different place than they were when we ended conversations on November 30th. Now, whether that's directly related to CBA or, or other things that, that came up over that three month period, I, you know, I don't know, but, um, but that was, you know, that was kind of the, the risk to some extent that, you know, those conversations were going to change. So yeah, I, I think everybody, kind of regrouped during that time, looked at themselves, waited to see how the CBA was going to affect them in their operation. And we always knew that there, there was going to be a chance that we weren't just going to have, you know, have the same exact conversation. When you look at Matt Olson and you look at Matt Chapman, because obviously Olson signs an extension less than 24 hours from being traded. He's signing some huge extension. We know there were talks with Scott Boris and about Matt Chapman. 
just just for our fan base, they're always a question. How much did you talk to these two players about extensions with staying staying with the A's, or was it a situation that when you talked to their agents, you knew for a while now there was no way their demands would ever be made or met? I should say. Sure, I mean, those those conversations are are always fluid over the course of a player's career, and and particularly you know with those two guys who you know who came up you know had different trajectories. I think. I think we know, you know, Matt Chapman established himself a little quicker, only kind of up and down early on. So it was always fluid. I can just say that, yeah, those conversations did happen at various points in, in both of their time here. Um, and it, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. Our Look, our situation as, as a franchise has changed over the course of their time here. And that's, that's certainly a factor as well. I, I, I think, you know, the ballpark has been in different phases over, you know, since let's say they came up in the middle of 2017, the, the ballpark search has been very different at times during that. So yeah, those conversations happened. Obviously, we're here now, so they never, you know, never got over the, the uh, finish line. For you, who you've been around this for so long, how frustrating has it been for you that the ballpark conversations, they have changed so much and where the ballpark's going to be, heck, what state the ballpark is going to be. They have changed so much since you've been with the A's. Just how frustrating is that? You know, it, I guess it, it could be if you look at it that way. I, I learned a long time ago, and Billy told me when I, you know, when I first got here, that we, we, can't, uh, we can't run our side of the operation being worried about that. And that was, that was true when I started in – 2000. It was true through that decade. It's it's been true the last five years with with Dave Cavill running the you know that that search. You just you, you we can't we can't spend a whole lot of time focused on it. We obviously have our our work to do, and so I, I guess there's a scenario in which you could get really frustrated looking at the day to day and the ups and downs of all the votes and and whatnot. But to be honest, Chris, we 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 kind of try and put some blinders on and, and go about our work and, and not, you know, not spend a lot of, of time and energy on, on, on what happens, like I said, from day to day on that stuff. Oh, I hear you. People ask me all the time and I'm like, I don't know about city councils and port authorities <laughs> and I don't know about all yeah, this stuff. I mean, we, right. We I mean, know, we know a lot more now. We know a lot more about those things now than we did a few years ago. But, <laughs> yeah, sadly, uh, but I, I hear you. I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, set up for six hours and watch those those zoom meetings when i know we have work to do yeah the, hey what about the county commission i have no idea i just i it's about baseball <laughs> for us um and and you know the way we cover the team here on ace cast and my time on 95 7 or the other stations we've been on i've always said there's you know you've got to cover the team with the direction of the team and lately we've covered the team as a team that's trying to win the division trying to win 100 games but now there's been a pivot and now you cover the team to find out who's going to be a part of the future, even though Mark Kotze and, Mark Kotze and his group, they want to win today. But as we start at 105 today, it's about a blueprint and finding the next generation of A's that are going to lead us back into the postseason to give a chance to win a championship. And when I think about all these years that you've been winning, you've had to deplete your system to try and keep winning and to add, which has been great. But now you're now you're refueling the farm system. 
you talk about the three trades. Talk about how excited are all these players that you brought in, and, and and you're getting a minor league system back and starting to build for the future. Yeah, there's there's obviously a cycle to these things. Like you said, the the you know the farm system and the major league team kind of go in in concert over three and four year cycles, as we've seen all the way back you know back to 2000. So that said, uh, you know we've gotten ten players in over the last week and and really you know really excited about a lot of them you you look at you know the makings of a of a rotation down the line with guys like jt ginn and ryan cusick and gunner hogland uh you know in addition to, to some of the guys who are already in the system and colin palouse and mason miller and, and jeff criswell so really you know make a difference to your uh your starting rotation depth in the system right away and then you know, we mentioned Shea Langoliers earlier, but the position players with Langoliers and Pache from the Braves, Kevin Smith, uh, who we think is, you know, has a chance to make an immediate impact coming over from the Blue Jays. Um, there is, you know, there there is a lot of optimism about all the guys who've, who've sort of become new to uh, green and gold over the last six days. You know, the guy that I'm really feeling bad for, and, you know, you always have a soft spot in your heart, uh, you know, are the guys that only have so much time in this game and they only have so many chances. And, you know, the last couple of years, you know, not even really having spring trainings or shortened spring training, and now here's another shortened spring training. You know, the guys that are trying to eke out a living and just, you know, they're aud- they're really auditioning not only for you but the 29 other teams. And with, you know, I'm looking at the schedule here starting today ending on April 5th, just how bad do you feel for those guys that are just trying to grind and make that roster spot to just have that opportunity to call themselves a big leaguer one time or just just holding on that it's they're getting very limited time to showcase their skills? Yeah, that was sort of, uh, you know, the, the heartbreak for a little bit of the lockout was the guys who um, who did want to be out here and play and you know, like you said, take advantage of whatever opportunity they have, you know, whether it's guys on the roster out of options or, or six year free agents who had plans to come into camp and win a job, like that's going to be hard to do over the next two and a half weeks. Like, you know, we know we've got 18 games. We're already looking at uh, limited innings and limited ABs trying to get, you know, the, the guys who are set on the roster ready for that opener in Philly on the eighth. So uh, it, it's just a different spring. I mean, like you said, we, we've been through this the last couple of years. We had, you know, short spring and summer camp in 20. Last year we had protocols and things were uh, things were different than they'd ever been. And and now here we are with uh, a sprint uh, to to opening day. So we'll, guys will adjust and, and hopefully we'll be able to figure out what we're doing before then. You know, one thing uh, we've talked a lot about with you is the great job that you did with your staff and the medical staff and Dave Cavill with the entire organization with how we dealt with COVID. And it's not gone yet. Cases are starting to go up in New York. One thing that we're not talking a lot about is uh, the mandates that are still going on for vaccines. I'm looking at it about New York right now and what's going to happen with certain Yankee players, Met players, uh, teams coming in to play in New York. You got Toronto in the very first road trip, and they're still very strict about uh, vaccines and booster shots and everything. So uh, just, you know, a, a broad overlook 
uh, talk about if you go to New York and if you go to Canada and not everybody's vaccine, just if not, I should say, vaccinated, how tough is this going to be for some organizations? It's it's another variable thrown in thrown into the mix of putting a roster together, no doubt. So I mean, like you said, we we go to Toronto on that first road trip, so it's it's staring us right in the face. I think I think Texas goes in there to open up, so they're the other organization that has to deal with it as early as we do. But um, yeah, it's part it's part of our conversations of putting together the 26 man roster. Is is what happens if we have guys who can't get into Canada games eight, nine, and ten? So. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I don't know as much about the situation in New York other than what's been reported this week. And uh, people seem to think there's a chance of that being cleared up, certainly by the time we go there midseason. Um, but but the Toronto thing is, is very real and it's something we're going to have to deal with early on in uh, in dealing with either guys who who can't can't get in or, or guys that we have to option and things like that. So, but again, <laughs> It was never going to be easy, so it's just another uh, another variable thrown at us. Well, when I think about all the rule changes and all the different things that are going on, the main thing is just we're getting back to baseball, and we know that it's about building a team for the future, but you're still going to have a team that you're going to try and win with the guys that you got right now with Mark Kotze and your great staff. So when you go into 2022 – I, you know, you're going to have the the initial team, but just how fluid do you think the roster will be throughout the season? Well, I think there's an opportunity here for a lot of guys. I think, yeah, you will see some some turnover and some changes, and and obviously there's a you know there's elements of our roster that are set, but um, but I know Mark has told the group there's a, a great opportunity for some guys here to get a shot at establishing themselves in the big league. So like we've, you know, we've been here before and, and we've gone through this with other guys and guys who've taken advantage of that opportunity have gone on to flourish here. Um, so yeah, like you said, we're, you know, we're at the point now where we're focusing on, on what's going on in the field. We, we, we kick off here in about 15 minutes and, and it'll be about what goes on, what goes on in the field, certainly for Mark and, and his staff and, and the guys in the clubhouse. Uh, they're they're trying to block out some of the other noise, and they're worried about taking advantage of their their chance here. Well, I know you think A's Cast Live and A's Cast is just about promoting A's baseball, but we're out on the road right now helping you, David. We've been scouting. Uh, Cody was on the road as your uh, West Coast scout, scouting your alma mater, Harvard, up against Cal Poly. Uh, David, you got to if, yeah. if he if he can somehow follow follow us, you got to look at Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. That kid can play. I'm I'm well aware of Brooks Lee and and if you believe believe what's written out there right now, there's no chance he's getting to us in the first round. But I know uh, I know he's a very good player. Uh, I also know that the Crimson managed to split a four game series with Cal Poly Slow. So. A lot, of, uh, a lot of pride on my Harvard text threads about that one. Hey, the bottom line is when Harvard comes west, you better watch out. <laughs> That's the takeaway, so I'll, I'll take it. They've got, they've got the UCLA Bruins for three this weekend, so that's going to be a tall order. Well, I know for everybody, David, that, uh, you know, when you go through a lockout, you just you wonder how long is this thing going to go? When is it going to end? But the good thing is they always end. And no matter what, we're going to have baseball. And I got to think for you, your staff and really for all A's fans, the fact that we're going to have baseball today at 105 is something special. And it truly kicks off the 2022 season. 
A hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're excited to be doing our job. There's been, there have been so many times over the last couple of years now where we haven't been able to do, you know, what we really love doing and, and the fans haven't been able to watch our guys out on the field and enjoy A's baseball. So uh, hopefully the majority of that, if not all, is behind us. Like you said, this, this finally kicks off the 22 season and we're, we're happy to be back. Good stuff, David. We'll talk soon. Be well. All right, guys, I'll talk to you. David Force, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. And that's part of the job is you got to deal with, with as much as you want to deal with the good, you got to deal with the bad. And the bad is where a business is. And you know, as we've talked about, and the fans hate it, and we've told you it's okay to have those feelings. We're not telling you not to say that it sucks because it does suck to lose Olson, to lose Olson and Chapman and Bassett. It does. But the reality is when we're talking about when a new ballpark could potentially open, those guys are now old guys. And it's really, it's, 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 we talk about it, and I know it, we sound bad because of the way we address it. We try to address it. We're not addressing it with pom-poms as, hey, we work for the A's. I, I, I like to think we do, we do a good job of addressing it as reality. This is the reality. The reality is the new ballpark at best will open in 2028. Do the math. Where is Chapman? Where is Olsen? At that point, they're not young guys in their prime anymore. So you're now looking for the next wave. And it just, it sucks, but, you know, you got to move forward. We don't have control over that here uh, here on A's Cast Live or A's Cast. And front office, you know, let's face it, they don't own the team. So they're kind of told what to do. And they got to run the business the way the business wants to be run. And the business is now truly looking towards the future. As you've heard Dave Cavill on here, it's about this vote and that vote. I mean, they're trying to get they're trying to get everything binding. They're trying to get everything done. They're trying to get it to a point to where we can talk about shovels in the ground. And then when we know shovels are going to be in the ground and shovels go in the ground, that's when you start saying, that's when I need guys in their prime. When the stadium starts getting built, the Cleveland Indians showed us all this in the mid-90s. When that stadium starts getting built, is that's when you need to have the players about ready to rock. If you really want to be a big-time, functioning, let's-go, win a World Series, go on a run where you're going to multiple World Series, trying to win multiple championships, that's, that's when the shovels are in the ground. And we're nowhere near that. So what do you do? And... Let's be polite about this. Um, the players, ta- I've been saying it, takes two to tango. No one's going to throw anybody under the bus, but we'll, we're going down to spring training, Cody and I. We'll try and investigate a little bit, but obviously Matt Olson wanted like an eight-year contract. We've heard that Matt Chapman and Scott Boris won over $200 million. So that's not cheap. So as much as we look at the we, – we, Everybody sees this just as the A's. You got to forget. I mean, you can't forget. There's also the player, his wants, and what he needs. 
and what he's going to be willing to sign for. If you say, hey, I got a four-year deal for you here, and the agent turns around, four years, we want eight. It's a tough situation, but that's business and negotiations. We'll try and find out the best we can for you exactly when those conversations happened between the front office and the agents. What did the agents really want? And if it was so ridiculous, are you then shocked that the players got moved? In less than 24 hours, Matt Olson went from talking to reporters in Mesa, Arizona, like dumbfounded, right? Remember his comments? Like, wow, this is tough, you know. It was like 11 a.m. on Monday. To 23 hours later signing an eight-year, $168 million contract. So clearly there was a lot going on. Yeah, and we saw 23, well, you said 23 hours, and then he signs a new deal, and and like it's we've seen it happen. I, mean, I remember mentioning it to you, and it's just happened recently in the NFL when the Raiders traded for Devonte Adams. You think that he they weren't like, oh, here we're gonna we're gonna trade for you, and then we're gonna sign you to extension. It just happened again in the NFL. I, I know it was baseball, but Deshaun Watson just is getting apparently getting traded to the Browns, and they worked out a new deal for him. These things happen. So Matt Olson wanted the contract. The Braves are willing to give him the money he wanted in the years, and he's younger than Freddie Freeman, and he got it. And the Braves, I think, are going to be just as good as they were last year with Matt Olson and not having Freddie Freeman. All right, that is going to do it for A's Cast Live. More importantly, A's Baseball with the voice of your Oakland Athletics, Ken Korak and Vince Catronio. I mean, it's back. The blueprint. It starts today. The future. The future of the A's. The next generation of A's that are going to compete for the AL West title and the playoffs and the world championship. You got to find them. And it's time to now find them. Who's that next chapter of A's going to be? Well, it starts coming up here in about eight minutes. And of course, Ray Fossey, you'll always be in our hearts as we love you, Ray. And we know you're, we know you're looking down on us and you're going to be watching and with a big smile because your favorite sport is starting next right here on A's Cast. We'll see everybody on Monday. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.